I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined today by one of those people that you follow along on Instagram, and you just wish you could chat with them and learn more about how they got their perspective and how they live their lives. And I get to chat with one of those people today. So Susie Redding, psychologist, yoga instructor, self-help guide, guru, and author of five books, almost one is coming out very soon, and hailing all the way from the UK. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a treat. We are kindred spirits and and we get to hang out together. What a joy. Thank you. Well, I think we must be kindred spirits because every time you post something on your Instagram, I'm like, this. it's like she's speaking directly to me. It's not only a wonderful piece of guidance, but it's also exactly what I need to hear, which makes sense because recently you've been posting a lot about self-care and self-love and self-forgiveness. And in these times that are so trying, especially for parents... Um, I think that message just really hits home that, um, you know, to slow down and to take a moment for ourselves, even in a small way. That's so much of what I love about following you is you really share these very practical tools for how to take care of ourselves, even when we don't really have any time, Um, ways to press the reset button, if you will. So I've been thinking recently about what it is that I think of, you know, subconsciously every day that really helps me as a person and as a parent to get through each day, things that have become subconscious to me, but might not be something that other people think about as regularly. And one of those things has been inner child work. So I learned about my inner child when I was 16 in a therapist's office. And this was before it was part of our modern vernacular. People weren't mentioning the inner child all the time. And I think that because we bring up an inner child so often, I sort of lose sight of what it actually means and what my inner child actually is because I've gotten used to people talking about it all the time. But when I really think about its meaning, I think it ties so much into your message of self-forgiveness and self-compassion and self-care, especially when, you know, it's very hard to find time or space for both. And for me, just understanding and having an awareness of my inner child helps me keep that inner child in the backseat or in the passenger seat of my car, but not in the driver's seat. And I think it's very tempting to let our anxiety and our fear drive, especially when it's being triggered by everything around us. And I thought, who do I want to talk about this with? And you were the first person that came into my mind. So when you told me that you wanted to chat with me about it, I was over the moon because I can't think of another person that I follow or voice that we have in the world right now that I think could speak to this as wonderfully as you can. So um, let's just dive right in and talk about how you got started on this journey. I think most people, when they talk about self-care or have an understanding of self-care, it's usually because at one point in their life, they had to stop and really reconsider the way that they were treating themselves. What was your journey into understanding self-care? I think you are so insightful there. Um, Really, this whole journey for me is 
you know, on one level, it's it's a culmination of all of my um, training and qualifications in psychology, in yoga, in health and fitness. I, I spent a decade working as a personal trainer. And it was all about helping people nourish themselves and make sustainable, healthy lifestyle change. But on another level, it was my own life experience of motherhood colliding with the terminal illness of my father and what I describe as ensuing energetic bankruptcy, where I I literally felt like I had nothing in the tank. Um, And that was a result of, you know, of, of real trauma, of saying last goodbyes to my dad before giving birth. And, you know, you can imagine having a, a week of saying last goodbyes and then giving birth. You can imagine how I felt after that. It was flat as a tack. I felt like, yeah, as I said, nothing left in the tank. Um, and from that experience, that's where I learned firsthand the true value, the transformative power of self-care. It, it showed me what it was all about and why it was so necessary. So up until that point in my career, it was all about well-being and I totally got that we need to take care of ourselves. But in that life experience, it showed me that so often when we need self-care the most, that's when it becomes inaccessible in those usual shapes, in those usual forms. And I think that probably resonates for a lot of people right now. You know, these changing variables have made it really hard to take care of ourselves in the usual ways. And when we're feeling so squeezed uh, for time and energy, it can be really hard to come up with new ways. So that's what I'm so passionate about sharing with people, ways that we can take care of ourselves that don't take a lot of time or energy or expense or skills. That's what you write about in your book. You talk about tangible ways that are just very, you you explain them. They're straightforward. We can even practice them with our kids. What are some of the ones that you found yourself running to recently? Oh, I love this stuff. It's It's the thing that you can do in the moment. It's the thing that you can do while the kettle boils. Maybe it's a single yoga pose. Um, maybe it's, it's a simple breathing practice that will help you and your kids move through frustration or, you know, heavy, difficult emotions. It might be as simple as for five minutes, lie down with your legs up the wall and, and fill your cup. Or it what is be, lying down with our legs up the wall? Like, what does that do for us? Ah, I'm so glad you asked. So this is a yoga pose, but it's also, if anyone's done any first aid training, this is the position that you would put someone in if they're in shock because it redistributes all the blood flow to the vital organs. So there's nothing mm. fluffy about this stuff. This is, this is real. Now, when I became a mum, like most parents, I was terribly sleep deprived and I found myself, um, you know, when, when my little one would have a sleep, I would, I would do my best to get my head down. But there were times when if she woke up after like 15, 20 minutes, I would feel robbed. Or if I fell into a deep sleep and then was woken up, it, I might feel worse for it. But the secret yes. to feeling replenished in a short space of time was to lie down with my legs up the wall. So to do it, you basically, you sit with one hip against the wall and then lie onto your back and stretch your legs straight up the wall so that your your whole leg is supported by the wall. And then you just give the weight of your body to the floor, to the wall to be held. And you lie mm. there and you be with your breath for, you know, as, as little as a couple of minutes. That's all it takes to, to feel recharged. But, you know, there's no pressure to drop off. And if you've only got a couple of minutes, 
it's powerful. Well, I think about this time. So this time reminds me so much of the newborn stage with both of my kids because the lack of sleep, the sort of sense of survival mode, I'm not nearly as exhausted as I was, but the isolation that comes with it at the same, like when you're sort of stuck inside your house with your newborn who can't go out and can't get germs. Um, it reminds me of that. And I think many people that I've spoken with are feeling sleep deprived right now because anxiety keeps us awake even when we wish we were sleeping. So that's such a tangible tool. I'm so curious to know more of what we can do. I think this applies for any season of life, not just this one, when we're exhausted um, to refill our tank. Do you have any other things you love like legs up the wall? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's not just not having the time. It's also right now we don't have the space because right. we're all thrown together all the time. So how can we recharge our ways, recharge ourselves in ways that, you know, doesn't require us leaving the house and doing something special, grand, elaborate somewhere else. So oh, I keep hearing that. Like, it's like, you can't, just everything we know about how to take care of ourselves right now is a conundrum because we can't do any of it. That's right. So, so many people just feel stuck around that. So we need to build our toolkit of micro moments of nourishment. And these are things like, so legs up the wall is great for, you know, when you need to recharge. When you don't have an opportunity to lie down, then we need other things like using scent because scent is a really powerful mm. mood alchemist. And maybe that could be embedded in a, a ritual of, of touch because touch stimulates the release of oxytocin, which is a feel-good hormone. So maybe it's, it's tenderly, lovingly massaging in a hand balm, or it's how you apply your moisturizer in the morning. You can look at the things that you are already doing and ask yourself, how can you make this more nourishing? How can you make it more of an affirmation of self-worth? And there are so many things that we can dot through our day. You know, the way that we talk mm. to ourselves, um, hydrating ourselves, spending time in nature. And if you can't get out into nature, then can you look out the window and watch the moving cloudscape or seek a bird on the wing or, or listening to nature sounds or a piece of music that you find uplifting? It's simple things like that we, that we can access in a moment that can literally change the quality of our day. I know so many people listening and myself very much included are thinking that, okay, I have these tools and I can put them into practice, but I'm so depleted. And what about my kids? How can I help them? Are these tools that they can use? Are there other tools that might be more suited to young children, especially during these times where we're all stuck under the same roof or things just aren't normal? They're not what we're used to. Do you know, I think there are, there are so many commonalities because if you think about you know the human body, it doesn't matter whether you are four or 40, it needs hydration, it needs nutrition, it needs time in nature. We need to move for mental health. We need uh, a sense of creativity and self-expression. We need color. We need touch and cuddles and, and connection. So it's pretty simple. So maybe those practices might be slightly different. You know, for grown-ups, we might prefer to roll out our yoga mat and be on it for half an hour and do something guided. But for kids, it might be if they're feeling bored, let's do a tree pose just to switch things up. Or before bed, let's do a single child's pose just to kind of set the scene, just to prime the mind and body for rest. So it doesn't have to be completely different, but it might take a slightly different shape if that makes sense. But there are many Absolutely. things that we can engage in together. You know, it doesn't have to be, I've got to go and hide in my bedroom for 20 minutes to do this thing. 
I can actually, in the middle of the chaos of Lego, I can get down on the floor and do a pigeon pose. And if, you know, my kids want to climb on my back, it's not the end of the world. We can have a little giggle with it and they might, might just join in too. So I think it's being flexible about these things and looking for ways that we can just imbue our day with tenderness and nourishment and care. And it doesn't have to look like what we thought it had to look like. It doesn't have to be being in a yoga class. It doesn't have to be so structured. It can just be playing Legos with your kids and getting into a pigeon pose. And I think this is such a season of learning or teaching our children by example, how to care for ourselves in really challenging times and how they can do the same. And I think we do, we lead by example. So it's like this wonderful scenario where the more you take care of yourselves, the more the more of you take care of yourself, the more you're teaching your children absolutely really how to do the same. I so let's talk about the point. That's such a good yeah, point. Already. I mean, it's like so many parents feel guilty about doing this stuff, but this is how we model these skills and behaviors, right? Mm. We teach them what constitutes healthy eating. We need to also yes. teach them how to navigate tricky life experiences and move through big emotions. And it's okay to be a beginner at the same time as your kids, because for so many of us, we haven't been taught this growing up. We're learning at the same time as our kids, but that's fine. Let's just be a beginner together and, and, and enjoy the journey together. I have a friend of mine who talks to me a lot about just trying to make her kid's world as perfect and magical as possible, but at the same time, having a really hard time taking care of herself. And I always think, you know, no matter what you're providing for them, no matter what magic you're laying out, they're watching you. So, you know, your mom raised you the same way. Her mom had a really hard time taking care of herself and her mom made her world magical, but here she is. She's a mom and it's really hard for her to take care of herself because the example that she had of what mothering is, is quote selfless in a way that doesn't make any space for her. And it's like, frustrating sometimes because we'll expend ourselves as as much as possible and we'll be exhausted and have nothing left. And the only thing our kids are really getting from that is just seeing the way that we live our lives. And I can see such a difference in my kids. I mean, this crisis, if you will, has brought up so much of a call to action for me to really double down on self-care and really set boundaries and make sure that I'm okay and I've realized, you know, how important, for example, my podcast is to me and finding ways to get it done, even though we're in such a challenging time for that to happen. And I can see a change. Um, my youngest daughter is probably too young to notice any of this, but my oldest daughter, um, I can just see a change in her. I can see um, this dynamic shift that, you know, mommy takes care of herself. And I, I think this sounds bizarre, but it's like the more I take care of myself, the more self-esteem I have. And it's like the more self-esteem she has, like she feels safer to do all of those things too. And I can see her learning those tools. We have very challenging days around here. Um, but I, I think that has been one of the gifts of this time for sure. I love the language that you've just used there. That is so beautiful. Um, I, I do a live session every Monday morning on Instagram. And I introduce that by saying, this is how we come together to build the self-care habit, not only so that we can be there for ourselves, but so that we can be a calm, safe place for those that we love. And mm. you've just nailed yes. it. That is exactly the upward spiral that you've described there. The more you nourish yourself, the more you are present and resilient and compassionate and, and those same skills 
filter down into our children and the language that they use, the way that they talk to themselves as well, and the toolkits that they build in response. And I think this is the most amazing thing that I've learned about working with children and families is that this is, it doesn't need to be parents spoon feeding this stuff to their kids. If you sit down with your kids and say, hey, if you're feeling a little sad or if you're, if you're having trouble getting to sleep or if you're feeling lonely or if you're feeling cross, what could you do in those circumstances? And every single time, my kids and the kids that I work with, they come up with an arm long list of different things that they can try. And it's like, wow, we're just tapping into that innate resourcefulness. And by having the conversation and writing it down, we're making it salient and we're showing our kids this is how we cope with life in all its glory because that, that's life, isn't it? No one's immune yes, from these exactly. experiences. Oh, yeah. It's not about not having the experiences. It's about ha learning how to navigate them. And I, I think so many of us, I mean, I think we were taught by our parents. I mean, that's just the way the world was like to swallow it. Just don't show your emotions. Do not process this. Like you should not be loud. <laughs> um, the most important thing was just not expressing yourself um, and getting through it. But when we change the conversation and make it about, okay, you know, you're really frustrated teaching our kids how to label their emotions and then how to handle them in different ways. So besides throwing your toy across the room, here's something else that you can do. And to think of us as like, welcome to planet earth. You know, you're the ambassador, mom, dad, you're the ambassadors, as opposed to correcting behaviors that I think are really just expressions of what we're all going through right now. Um, as a result of the world around us. And something else that I've noticed um, among my peers and just among the world in general that I can perceive from social media is that productivity is such a huge part of how we give ourselves value in this society. And I am certainly susceptible to that. Um, and I think in a time where we can't do as much, even though so many of us are doing more than we ever have, um, it feels like we're doing the opposite. It feels like we don't have time for what really matters to us. Um, ranking ourselves in this way can be really destructive. And, and how have you found, how have you been working with people um, on looking at themselves through a more loving lens and changing the, fo taking the focus away from how much we produce and onto just mm. who we are? Mm, do you know, I think that's this is so important that we have this conversation. I think there are there are two threads to it. It's it's productivity and it's also success. Um, it's and it's feeling like making we're making a valuable contribution. And I think these this is not just unique to this time period. I think this is when we become mums, right? It goes right back to that. Um, I think yes. I've I've really struggled with trying to juggle work commitments and being present for my kids. And, and, and then when work did, I was able to shoehorn it into pockets. So then I was parenting, but I was still feeling like, oh, I should be doing something else or is this enough? Or it's so tricky. It's like we need to redefine the whole nature of success. Like before you become a parent, if you think about anything that you kind of set out to achieve generally in life, if you work at it, it's it's like results are contingent on how much effort you've put in. You can kind of guarantee that you're going to, you know, you're going to get some result. But with parenting, you can give every cell and fiber of your being and still not achieve the desired result. It's not for lack oh of God. trying, right? Oh. Because you can't make them sleep. 
You can't make them eat. You can't necessarily no matter settle what you them. Do, it's the hardest thing in the entire it world. It's so hard. So we've got to renegotiate uh, what success looks like. Yeah, mm. what productivity looks like. And I think probably the thing that I was learning over lockdown is that productivity is not always about getting stuff done. Sometimes the most productive thing I could do was to surrender and rest so that, you know, I could I could be the kind of mum that I aspire to be, that when it was time to work, I could do it with focus and passion. So that's been a real learning curve. And learning how to just be again because there wasn't, oh, yeah. there we wasn't so, a time and space to do so other fast. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I mean, I felt like I had whiplash when this whole thing started. I mean, I had no idea that I was going as fast as I was. And I felt like I was driving everywhere all the time. I was like always in my car. There was always something to do. And in the beginning, I was just detoxing from that busyness that's just part of our lives. Um, it's, it became part of our rhythm. And I think I've seen such a burst of creativity in myself, but also in so many of the people around us, because when you slow down, you can actually connect to that. You can connect to those creative forces. You can hear, you can hear more. You can just hear the sounds of the world around you. And it's something that I definitely want to hold on to. I think that's been something else I've, you know, I've had one of those weeks this past week where I've had all of this personal admin that I've been putting off forever that I just have to take care of this week. Like this is the last week I can get it done. And I have all this busy work to do and it's just totally stifling me in every other area of my life. I just, I feel exhausted. I feel like so much less creative than I usually am. And it's really proof, like it's really proving the point that when I'm doing less, I'm actually much more productive. I have so much more to put out there into the world when I'm not busy with things that don't really matter. Yes, these things matter this week. I do have to get them done. But very often in the past, it has been things that I really don't need to be worrying about and just filling my day with them. And they break that connection. And I think about so much about what can we hold on to um, once this is over? What are the things that we can hold on to? So many of us are looking at self-care practices that we wouldn't have even considered if we weren't pushed into a situation, just like you with your father passing away when your children were, when your child was born. It's like this was a situation that made you have to look at these tools that now you use no matter whether you're in crisis or not, you use them in your regular everyday life. And so I hope that this gives us a new perspective on what productivity really is. Mm, absolutely. And yeah, I think there are other skills that we've been honing through this period. And I, I love that there's been a chorus of voices talking about self-compassion and tenderness and self-forgiveness. And I, I think one of the, the biggest learnings for me in lockdown was I decided to pick up a couple of books that I've had for ages on willpower. Mm. I'm like, everyone's talking about all those things that they've been car parking until now you know if they've got the time and the space that's what they're going at hammer and tongs I'm like this is interesting I, I felt really drawn to that topic but what I learned from both of those books wasn't that we've got to push ourselves and be hard on ourselves to to build that self-regulation muscle it's actually something completely different it's self-forgiveness it's self-compassion. That is the key that helps us create change. And I didn't expect to learn that in those books, but I guess that's been really guiding me in my message um, and in my own practice, you know, as a human being. I've been looking at how I can 
just extend a little more tenderness and kindness to myself. And and I guess too in this time, I don't know for you, I've found a sort of a whole cacophony of old memories coming up where I've been uh-huh. able to take 100% a look at those dreams. Yeah. Oh my god. It's, yeah. It's been, and my kids are noticing it too. And I, I'm, the more people I speak to about this, I think this is kind of, it's bringing a lot of stuff to the surface. And actually, when yeah. I've been looking at these things, there's been sort of like my my grown up self. I've been looking at these experiences and going, yeah, that happened, and that's in its box. But with this time to reflect, I've been able to say, oh my goodness, I've been able to look at that experience and say, wow, for a, for a four year old girl or an eight year old girl or a teenager, that was huge. That wasn't nothing. Um, and and that's really where those posts came from. This inner child work, this self forgiveness work that. Um, yeah, it feels really resonant right now. And and they I, were so popular, yeah. those posts. They obviously struck a chord with so many people. Because I've been, I've, I'm so happy to hear you say that because I've been thinking so much about little Laura. Like I've just remembered so many things that I didn't even, my memories are just so vivid. They're things I never thought about or completely forgotten about that happened in my childhood or maybe when I was in college and just like reliving them and kind of going back through them in a really healing way. Mm. Um it makes me sort of, I think it's kind of cool. Like we all have this opportunity to just process things that maybe we were all too busy to process and we didn't even know it. I mean, these are things that I never thought of as being part of who I am or part of my story. And I hear so many people talking about having really vivid dreams and things coming up in those dreams and, um, you know, self-forgiveness and self-compassion. I think sometimes old memories can be really challenging because we remember things that maybe we said or did in the middle of the night that we really regret or, or what have you. So tell me a little bit about self-forgiveness and maybe also how that ties into guilt or shame that we might have, Mm -hmm. um, around our past experiences and how we can be more kind to ourselves around that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the whole thing with self-forgiveness is, First, we've got to take a look at what do we stand to lose when we withhold forgiveness? What what are the consequences of, of us holding on to blame and shame and and belittling and you know flagellating? You know, what what is what do we stand to lose? Now, f- from my experience, we stand to lose an awful lot. It doesn't actually serve us. You know, we, we've got to acknowledge that beating ourselves up doesn't serve anyone it doesn't change what's happened it doesn't help us be a better person and you know if if we have done something wrong it certainly doesn't help who we've 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 done something wrong by it doesn't achieve anything that's the first learning and then the second learning is to understand that we are all normal fallible human beings who will get it wrong from time to time that you can do a bad thing and it doesn't make you a bad person mm. yeah and then it's it's yeah. a matter of this constant practice of that that guilt will rise up, that feeling of, oh, that pang of, oh, I can't believe I did that or I didn't do that or I said this or didn't say that. And just saying, ah, oh, yes, that did happen, but it's done and I can learn and grow from that experience and know that I won't do that again. And I can just reaffirm my values and take action in service of those. But this is a constant process. You know, it's not like mm. we forgive ourselves once and it's done and dusted. Like we, it, it will still keep coming up. And I think guilt is, is, is just such a tenacious creature. But let's not, 
let's not try and eradicate it. I don't think that serves us. I think if we can just check in and see it as a messenger, this is an opportunity for us to check in with our moral compass and make sure that we are acting in accordance with our values because, you know, sometimes guilt comes up and it's misplaced. You know, I felt guilty about going grocery shopping earlier this week. How ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so used to being with my kids every minute, every, every day. And, you know, when yeah. mum goes out, it feels like a big deal. They don't like it. But it's like I'm going mm-hmm. out to provide food for the family. Why am I feel, feeling guilty about this? It's just an impulse. Oh. I can take a look yeah. at it and go, no, there's a good purpose. I know why I'm doing this. It's okay. And I can just allow that guilt to kind of drop from my shoulders and get on yes. with it. And I think also look at what we, I mean, how much easier I know, how much easier would my life have been if I had the tools of self-forgiveness growing up? I mean, I think I stayed up, I stayed awake with anxiety about things that I had done at school or or what have you so many times. And I had no idea how to treat myself around that or how to process it. And, you know, I was talking to my husband last night about my youngest daughter is just so, she's so sweet and quiet and just goes with the flow. And I often end the day thinking, where did I even see her? Like her sister is so much louder than she is. And I often end up going towards her sister and trying to help her sister with whatever her sister needs help with. And I'm laying down last night and I'm just thinking, oh my God, like I need to spend more time with Violet. I I feel like I haven't seen her like in weeks. I don't even know what's what's going on with her. Where is she? I feel so guilty. And he said, well, the guilt isn't going to, you don't need to feel guilty about it. You're aware of it and you can do things differently and it's okay. And everybody has those kinds of awarenesses and um, the guilt doesn't change our behavior. It actually does the opposite. And I thought, what a cool gift to give my kids to show them that like mommy does things that she wants to do differently. And I can practice self-forgiveness. I can just change what I'm doing and be loving towards myself and start over the next day. I always talk about that with my kids. Like, let's start over. Let's hit the reset button. Mm. Um, They're really only going to learn that from watching me do that. Like, there's always a new way to do something and guilting myself and shaming myself into that is not the way to get it done. Was there a moment in your life that prompted you to connect with your inner child to explore what an inner child is and to do healing work around your inner child? Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I remember this really vividly. It was when I was pregnant with my little boy, my second child, and I just finished a yoga practice at home on my own. And I can remember popping my hands on my tummy and thinking about what I wanted to extend to my unborn baby. And the words Mm. that came to me were, you are safe, you are loved, and you are held. And in that moment, I had this real sort of sort of insight into, oh my goodness, as a mum, as a grown up, as a as a you know a, a normal fallible human being, they are the things that I need to extend towards myself. They're the things that I need, and mm. in my journey as an adult, I've got to learn how to extend that towards myself. So there's there's a reparenting element in there. Um, but also thinking about how I could extend that same tenderness towards myself, but not just in this moment, but looking back on my life through my, my eyes as a child and listening to what was, what was it that I needed to hear in that moment as a child 
and being able to say those things as an adult to myself. And for me, this is, it goes right to the heart of developing our self-soothing capacity, if that makes sense. Well, this is so much of what I've been thinking about recently as far as parenting goes. I mean, I think about every good parenting book that I've ever read is not really about parenting my kids as much as it's about healing my own stuff and parenting myself. And I've had such a, I've had such funny experiences around what you've just described. I felt probably the exact same way when my, when I was pregnant with my first child, I just wanted more than anything for her to feel safe and loved and happy. And we were looking at schools like nursery schools for her to attend when she was like 15 months old. And we were between two of them. And I was sort of set with the task of touring both of those schools. And I went to one of them and it was just completely, it was like quiet and like the calmest place you've ever been to. I felt like I was walking into a spa. I don't even understand how they got these babies to be so quiet. It was very, very serene. The other school that we went to was just rambunctious and loud and like everyone was playing outside and there were water games and the kids were just like screaming with joy. And my husband came with me on that tour and he was like, this is the school. I mean, Selma has to go here. It's amazing. And I was kind of thinking the whole time, like, I don't know, you know, I think she really kind of needs what the other school has to offer because it's such a serene environment and it's so comforting. And it didn't take me long of explaining why the other school was the right school for me to realize like this was the school I wanted to go to. (laughs) Like Mm. this was exactly what I needed. I needed this sort of like comfort that I didn't receive and this calm environment. But like my kid actually has just devoured the school that we ended up sending her to, which was the loud one and the one with the water sports. And it's like, I I learned so much about what it is that I need through what it is that I think my children need. Mm-hmm. And yes, she needs to feel safe and she needs a soothing environment and she needs to feel, um, she needs to feel that unconditional love so much of, you know, my, I, I, I have certainly projected so much of what I need onto her journey and I'll see her like running out and she has all this confidence and she's super happy with something that might've been really challenging for me. And, and motherhood, I think is just such an eye-opening experience to what it is that we really need for our inner children to feel safe and mm. loved. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think that also taps into the concept of the inner elder. The fact is we still need that loving guidance so, you know, as we get older and we lose our parents, how can we internalize that that loving voice? Or if we, unfortunately, we didn't get that from our parents, how else can we internalize that? You know, is, is there another figure that we can cultivate and learn how yes. to extend that self, that that tenderness towards ourselves? It's really a fascinating having a look at it, isn't it? It's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's being able to heal the wounds that we experienced that we all incurred growing up because every everyone has you know experiences that that cause some kind of pain right it's being mm-hmm. able to look at that through the lens of wow and that was big and and validating and extending care but still being able to do that to our to us in this moment so some kind of like reflexive future self that can look back on us in this moment and offer the yes. same kind of tender loving words that that sense of coaxing that encouragement that we get this opportunity to to repair in ourselves yeah totally yeah to look at you know I think so often about what I would have said what I would say to my own children in a certain situation versus what I would say to myself Mm -hmm. especially the things that I have anxiety around like would I ever 
try, would I ever want my child to feel this way mm. about whatever it is that I'm worried about? And the answer is often no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what message can I give myself and my own inner child that can help me look at this the way that I would want my daughter to look at it? It, it opens my eyes to how I can just look at things through a more loving lens. Cause I would never want her to be afraid of all these different things. I would never want her to feel anxious about something or to feel bad about something. Mm. Um, and so it's like what we want to give our children and the way that we treat them can just give us so much insight into how, what, what it is that we need. And I also think, especially during a time that's really challenging, like the one that we're in, it's easy to see what, it's easier to see all the areas where we might have old wounds mm-hmm. and it's easier to see areas where we might need extra love and attention and then to in turn look at our children and be able to give them those things and give them to ourselves at the same time. I think maybe the most healing thing I've done on my journey on this planet is raising my kids. Like a hundred percent. Wow. Just being able to see them through the loving light that I see them through and understand the loving light that I ought to see myself through. And it's a journey for both of us. Like so much of, I'm reading this book right now by Becky Bailey and it's um, all about just, we expect our children to be disciplined, but do we, are we disciplined? <laughs> like mm-hmm. We want to give our, we want our kids to behave in a certain way, but that they're really just watching us. Like we want them to share with their sibling, but we'll snatch a toy out of their hand really aggressively and say that they can't have their toy anymore because they're not playing with it nicely. And they're learning that. Like we don't even think about these things. Yeah. But anyway, it's very, um, it's a very healing journey. I think it can be very challenging. Um, but especially during these times to, um, to give our kids the comfort that maybe we needed when we were a child during a challenging time can be, I think, a really healing experience. Well, I'm so with you. Beautiful insight. So with you. So tell me before we um, move on or stop chatting, what what are, um, I love some of the suggestions that you have that I've read on your Instagram recently about the cuddle cup, um, making sure your kid's cuddle cup is filled before they ask. I love to hear some more of those suggestions that you have for nurturing our kids during this time. I'm so glad the cuddle cup resonated. My, my little boy came up to me today and said, mommy, my cuddle cup is empty. And I thought, fantastic. You know, he's really proactively talking about this stuff. You know, it's 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 building the language to, to help our kids yes. express their needs. Um, I love it. My daughter is, is writing out her own little toolkits um, we've all been having a tough time getting to sleep. So she's been saying, okay, I need to make sure I've done that little bit of mindful coloring or mapping out what's happened in my day or when we've had a really, you know, joyful day out um, or a joyful experience at home, we, we're building our happy memory bank. So we write things down or maybe because oh, I love that. Yeah. And if you can describe it with all of your senses, that really helps you relive it again. Or because my mum was meant to be visiting from Australia right now and obviously she, she can't be with us, we've been taking photographs of just little happy moments in our day and sending it to grandma so that she feels oh. included and, and, and that really that helps us all feel connected. So it's such simple things that really can make a difference. I would love to talk to you about your book. Um, self-care for tough times. It's your most recent book that you have released. It's number four for you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. It is. So self-care for tough times, how to heal in times of anxiety, loss and change. Tell me a little bit about your book, what prompted you to write it and what it's all about. Okay. So 
I actually wrote this book well before COVID-19 happened. It um, basically, the first book I wrote about self-care, I wanted to introduce the framework that I developed and, and help sort of bust some myths around what self-care is and, and why we need it. So I'd, I'd made that clear. But I wanted to talk to how when we need self-care the most, that's when it's so hard to do. And we need a whole new toolkit of soothing practices. And I think we also need an open and honest dialogue around stress and burnout and anxiety and loss and grief and change and transition. Because even those things even though these things are universal, we just don't talk about them enough. And I think each has a unique toolkit. So rather than getting bogged down in all of the practices too, I wanted to show people what are the skills that we can develop that, you know, when you're talking about a skill, it's not something extra that you have to do in your day. It's the way you move through your day. And this is how we can make self-care accessible in these tr times of true squeeze. Mm, I love it. I love it. And who knew that like when you wrote this book <laughs> that we would be needing it so badly right now? Well, this is the thing. I knew that like I knew it would benefit everyone at different times in their life because we all experience mm -hmm. stress, loss and change. I never dreamt that collectively we'd all be thrown into an experience simultaneously and, yeah. and for this to be so timely. So it wasn't due to come out until... February of next year, but I was so lucky that we got things moving and the publisher was able to bring forwards the um, audiobook and the ebook version and it came out in April. So it's out there already and I hope it's 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 the tonic that we all need right now. I hope it can make a difference well, I think right it's now. Just the timing couldn't be more perfect. I think it's so useful for so many people. So many of the tools that you share um, on your Instagram and through your social media platform were so useful just from following you and watching your videos. I think the first video I saw of you was you were showing a breathing exercise. Does that sound familiar? There are quite a few of those. Yes. There are quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just these practical hands-on ways that we can really cope with what's going on in front of us. And something I've noticed you've been saying recently is that remember that this is a temporary situation. Do you think a lot of us have sort of started to forget that? Well, it's, I mean, it's been going on for so long, hasn't it? And yeah. it's, and it's like the, the sands are still shifting. So, you know, there's one wave of change and then it's, and I, I really shy away from this term, the new normal. I find that overwhelming if, and it really triggers a sense of loss for me. What I'm finding is far more lighthearted is just thinking, okay, the next chapter and then the next chapter after that. And, and so there's a fluidity to it and, and it feels, it feels more malleable. Yeah. I totally agree. When I see those memes that talk about like how, you know, life as we know it is over, like, I think we're going to go forward and we're all going to be able to go out to restaurants together again and not be wearing masks and like actually really appreciate that experience a lot more. I don't think that everything about life the way that it was before is over, but I, I do understand why somebody would say that. There were things that absolutely weren't working and it's time for to move on. But I feel the same way as you. When I read that, I'm like, you know what? That is a wave of grief that is way too big for me. Mm -hmm. Like I can't bite that off right now. Mm -hmm. I would hope that yeah. what is permanent would be some kind of perspective shift. Yeah. And, yes. and, and you've already touched on that so beautifully, you know, being really connected with what's important to us, the pace of life, how we go about it, being present and and living living a life imbued with our values. 
that's the important stuff. But we can do that in waves of change, can't we? <laughs> we we can. We absolutely can. Susie, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such an honor to have you. And thank you for all of the tools and the wisdom that you shared with all of us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy to talk about this stuff. And I, I really hope that... Um, you know, even if we haven't gone deeply into the practices, people can take a scroll back through my Instagram feed and find things that will make a tangible difference to how their day unfolds. And yeah, just knowing that we're in it together. A hundred percent. And if you want to follow Susie and see all of those great Instagram posts we were talking about, you can follow her on Instagram at Susie Redding. That's S-U-Z-Y-R-E-A-D-I-N-G. Her books are available on Amazon. And I believe also um, on your website, you can learn more about Susie. It's um, suzyredding.co.uk. Thank you again, Susie, for joining me. And thank you all for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I look forward to joining you again next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time.